Welcome to Doctorate, the podcast of PhD candidates in the humanities and the social sciences at the University of Vienna. This is the place for communication and discussion about issues surrounding us in the world of science. We address the what's, why's and how's of our work and invite researchers from different disciplines to explore topics and ideas they and we deeply care about. For many of us, a normal day consists of getting up in the morning, hopefully having breakfast and a cup of coffee maybe, and then heading to the office. If that is a state of mind, you go into behind your desk at home or a separate space in a building in the city. Then a couple more cups of coffee before you look at the clock and it's already time to go home, make dinner, watch some Netflix on the couch, and then before you know it, tomorrow is already here. This goes on and on, and later down the line, you look at your work, your life, and you think to yourself, where did all my time go? In today's episode of Doctorate, we're here to try to answer this question and figure out some ways to better handle our time as PhDs, but also as human beings. With me today to explore the ins and outs of time, I have Bao Chi, who is on our second year of studying AI policy in the European Union at the Department of Science and Technology Studies, and Christoph, who's also in a second year of his thesis on transformation in trade unions in Germany, Great Britain, and Austria at the Department of Contemporary History. Welcome, and thank you so much for uh, taking the time to be here uh, today. Pun very much intended. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you. So we wanted to start out this episode by talking a little bit about our expectations, because when we go into anything new, whatever we have is its expectations and it's a lack of um, experience. I didn't know how it was how it was to do a PhD when I started doing a PhD, but I had a lot of ideas of how it would be. And I thought, you know, I have a four year contract. Um, I'm probably going to finish my PhD in four years. How am I going to do it? I kind of had to like guess a little bit. Um, and I guess it's the same for everyone, right? So how how is that for you, Christoph, starting out the PhD and also knowing that you had a son on the way at the same time? Yeah, it was very challenging because sometimes I thought that I had more, even if I'm not parenting, I thought that um, a PhD would be a little bit more freely than it was because um, a lot of new issues popped up uh, when I started my when I started my PhD um, because it's completely different than than studying in a bachelor or master degree um, you're joining um, a congress or or a workshop so new things popped up yeah, because oftentimes we sort of base ourselves on the expectation or the the experience that we had. And usually when you start a PhD, it's your master's thesis uh, and you realize it's it's uh, it's quite different. But uh, before you started your PhD, Bauchi, you also had uh, you worked uh, sort of in, organis- in the organizational space, bringing some experience from there. Could you talk about how you how that was sort of applying those experiences to this sort of new venture of the, the four year PhD? Yeah, sure. And as you said, we kind of they go on of what we know. Um, so what I knew was project management and having Gantt charts and Trello boards, uh, just a lot of tasks. Um, and I try to apply that to the PhD. Um, I think the other thing I did was just emulate whatever I could find information on like how other people approach their PhDs. So it's a lot of trial and error in the beginning. Um, and um, what I think was also useful, but maybe a bit limiting was um, the FEP that we all had to do at the University of Vienna. This, I don't know what's it called. Yeah, because I really wanted to talk about the FEP. I think it's a it's a particular Austrian thing, but uh, 
it's just a, a point in time in the beginning of your PhD where you have to uh, write a, basically a proposal for your project and say not only what will I do, but also how will I do it to make it seem feasible for like a board of, I don't know, judges or something, right? And it feel, there's a lot of pressure. You feel a lot of pressure, right? You're sitting there and your supervisor asks you, hey, write down a time plan. How are you going to get from A, which is where you are now, to B or C or D or whatever, which is a finished dissertation? Um, yeah, I agree with you that um, yeah, it's um, that the FEB is a is, is also very stressful and a stressful part of in in a very early stage of your or of our PhD project. But on the other hand, I think it is very important to um, yeah to to keep in our minds um, the feasibility of our project and mm. to to make did you keep your son in mind when you were planning this like i i didn't have to keep any like kids in mind uh, did, what what came first your fab or your son um, i mean on the time <laughs> yeah 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 no the fab came later so okay. our son um, <laughs> was born in august um 2021 and the fab was in um, march mm. um, last year so 2000 um, 22. So, um, yeah, because I was also on um, maternity leave um, for three months. So this was a very important part of my life mm. at that moment and also in my PhD project. And it was also in my plan to, to stay at home mm. for three months to, to have time with my family, time with my son. So, mm. um, yeah, and... Uh, uh, I don't regret anything, so it was was a very, um, very great time. How did it help with your background to do this, like, planning? Mm. I really do like planning. I um, I said in the pre-interview that I, um, I'm a joyful planner. I mm. enjoy making plans because it helps me look forward to things. I think for the FEP, it was very arbitrary and very abstract because you kind of, I don't, I wasn't used to planning so far in advance. Um, so I had this plan that I was presenting, but to be honest with you, I naively thought that I would be able to get uh, the PhD done in three years, uh, other than the four years that I actually was contracted for. Um, and I'm far away from that. But mm. um, yeah, so it, it felt like something I had to do and like some abstract goal, but it still left me a lot of space to actually have to fill that time, um, which I think is a struggle, but I guess we'll get into that. A bit mm. later. And, and something that you both said uh, before we got into the studio today is like this planning thing, it's often optimistic. You know, it's like not only do you believe that you were able to do certain things better than, you know, <laughs> kind of turns out in the end, but it's also like a necessity. You need to be uh, optimistic. Uh, how, how have you sort of dealt with the optimism of your plan and the realism of, you know, living it out uh, afterwards? Yeah, for me, it was um, very helpful to shrink down my project because I'm dealing with um, three um, different countries, um, with three um, big trade unions in, within these countries. So for me, it is very important to shrink it down in different um, or in smaller pieces mm. so that, that things are feasible and if I have these smaller parts then it's easier to see or um, yeah to get the feeling to be successful. Mm. Yeah because Bauchi you mentioned that it's important to set yourself 
goals and not necessarily set the timelines to for like when it has to be finished. Obviously, you want to finish it at some point, but just having the the contents first and then the time comes afterwards, that kind of works very well. And then at some point you get an offer to say, write a book chapter and you say, yeah, that sounds cool. I want to do that. And then suddenly you have one more goal in your plan and it changes all the time. Like you can scale it back, but it, things will also uh, add on to that. How how is how is that experience for you trying to sort of add things into your plan continuously? Mm, yeah, you mentioned the book chapter, which was a kind of a big curveball. Um, it was good and it forced me to do stuff earlier than I had expected to do. But the other thing that I didn't expect in the beginning was actually the teaching obligation. Um, mm. So in doing the FERP, that wasn't very that wasn't very much featured in, but um, that was something I had to account for. And I think kind of. I, I like to do plans every month, actually. So just breaking it down and making packages for every month seems a bit more feasible. Um, and then I guess it can kind of adjust the longer term goals as well, according to that. Mm. Um, yeah, but, but I mean, Christoph, you also had sort of a surprising little small change to your um, to your work life because not only do you have your PhD, you also have your kid. And then at some point in time, you get an offer to work at the museum here in Vienna what is sort of like the the way of thinking about that? Like, obviously you get this offer, it's super exciting, but it's going to take more time and more energy out of you, but it's also going to give you more opportunities down the line. How is that sort of dilemma working out in your brain for you? Yeah, I mean, it's challenging in my mind, but it's also challenging when I have a look at my, at my timetable because... Um, usually my my work um, at the museum, I'm working there at the education team, so I'm a guide in the Austrian House of History. Mm. And um, yeah, the guides um, are needed for the weekend. Most of the time I'm working from Monday till Friday and then the museum also popped up on Saturday or Sunday. But at least you have this like blocking out of time because we talked about this earlier as well, this like you have all these things that you have to do and sometimes they get sort of mixed into each other uh, and th having this like separation that you obviously you have this like work with the museum on the weekends and you have basically everything else <laughs> outside of that uh, on, on the weekdays. Uh, and there's like blocking out certain days, certain days, certain hours, uh, certain months. That sort of helps for a lot of people. How is your experience like trying to like block out your your time? Has that worked for you, Bauchi? Most of the time it has, um, not always, unfortunately. Mm. Um, I guess we all have that experience. Um, I think it's nice to have that in the calendar, though, because even if things change, at least you have blocked out that time in the beginning. Um, I have that experience with I have a writing buddy, so to speak, mm. and we block out time together to actually get some writing done. And even if we chat a lot during those times, um, it's still time that I have there's no meetings that can be like put into that time slot. So mm. that helps. Um, so what Christoph said earlier about um, blocking out time, I think what I've been struggling with is actually getting distracted um, a lot by admin stuff, emails, um, just call, call, you know, browsing on Twitter and um, which is all work, I think, but mm. it still distracts from the actual meat of writing or doing coding and analyzing. Yeah, because I heard you, Christoph, you got some good advice from like a Swedish guy at some point. Uh, the, the the important thing is what what I um, take with me from this course, um, um, which happened at the university. Because mm. you used to be a librarian and that was like in the context of uh, doing library work, right? 
Yes, yeah. and this is also important that I, um, before I started studying, I'm working in a full-time job at the university library, and therefore I learned to get organized as well. So Not only books, but also your life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in a very early stage of my life, because I... <laughs> Yeah, and his, um, the advice from, from this guy, um, it was a course, it's a one-day course about um, dealing with emails and um, when what should we do if emails popped up all the time. And his advice was to check it um, maybe twice a day, and this is quite enough. Because I feel a lot, of, like, a lot of time with emails, I feel a lot of guilt. So I get an email and I don't answer it immediately, I feel like it's burning in my inbox and in the back of my brain. You know, it's like someone's like, someone wants something from me and I need to answer them immediately, but I also need to work. So I got to do that first. And then I got to, so I, I can't, I, I don't have this like structure for myself, you know, but, and I find the idea of like checking your email once or twice a day, it's like very tempting, but at the same time, you know, when I write an email, I want to, I want an answer as quick as possible, you know, and I also want to be that person, but it, it never really works out. But I guess like, um, yeah, finding a structure to these like small distraction is really important, right? Yeah. But this is maybe an expectation that the, the, the other, the other person don't, don't have at the moment because, mm. um, normally or, or it, it's good to have 24 hours at least or maybe 48 hours um to to respond mm. so um i think it's it's not an issue only in academia it's also an issue in the in the whole working environment mm. which we can um yeah even yeah maybe we can deal a little bit um different um, with emails. Or is this a professor at our department? It's uh, Bauchi's supervisor. She has this like thing in the bottom of her email signature that says like, I'm responding to this email in a time that suits me. Uh, or suits my workflow suits my and I don't expect um, emails outside of working hours. Yeah, I love that. But I also feel like it's kind of coming from like a little bit of a place of privilege. You know, it's like as a professor, you can do that. I don't know if I could do that as a PhD. I've uh, seen other PhDs do that though yeah? as well. Yeah. Do they look happy? I, d I don't know. <laughs> I have only seen their emails. <laughs> Hope this email finds you well. Uh, yeah. But um, I, I, I f it fully resonates what you just said because mm. I think these distractions also get you out of the workflow. So like we've been talking about strategies to get into that mind space, right? But checking emails and responding to emails really, for me at least, is much longer than the actual time to reply to an email. But it's the getting out of the workflow and then having to readjust and then, oh, I'm already out of the workflow. Let me just get a cup of tea or make some food. So it it'll just piles on, and then you never really sit down and get into this flow of whatever you actually want to be doing. Exactly. Yeah. And we have the privilege in academia to to um, read some sources and studies about um, being distracted because the Institute for Psychology um, is dealing with these topics and it is a matter of fact that if you open up an email then maybe 
takes you one hour to get back. Mm. It depends on the topic, but it's, yeah. I often find myself writing emails to, uh, especially people who are sort of uh, higher up than me, like professors or other people that I sort of, I need something from them and I want to like phrase it perfectly. You know, it could be such an easy email. If I was writing to a friend, I would be like, hey, can we chat for a bit? But it's like, dear university professor, this and that. I was wondering if I could take the time away from your day. Oh, maybe that's too rude. Or it's like, is it, am I being pompous now? And just like you sit there and you write like two lines and you spend an entire hour on it. Mm. Um, but I feel like <laughs> this is like the thing about a PhD that you don't really expect when you start. But then you find yourself in this spot where you realize most of my time is actually going to writing, reading emails. And then also all this other administrative work, like some have teaching obligations, some have just these small things and they seem to sort of pile up, right? And at some point we're wondering like how much time do we even put into our, our PhDs at all, right? This is the most challenging thing for me that um, this admin things and, and yeah, don't take so much time from my from my energy and also from my timetable so i think this is um yeah very hard you about she said it earlier that you feel like there's no there's no single point in time where your plans fail it just sort of these phases where things seem to stop up a little bit mm. and it's so hard to like get back into it how, how do you deal with these like times when you're just like sitting there and staring at your computer and nothing goes seems to go anywhere mm. yeah to just to rewind i think after that first phase as we talked about the fub where you have a concrete goal that you know, work towards too i think then comes this time where it's very exploratory and you're doing maybe field work or analysis um and things don't progress that quickly and i find myself in that phase right now where i have weeks where i feel like nothing's really working and everything's super slow um But what you said earlier, just realizing that has helped. So I, I think time management is not only about looking forward, but also kind of looking in retrospect. So I actually, even though we don't have to keep time sheets, I do write down how much time I actually spend sitting there and working. And sometimes it's really shocking how little my brain actually, like, especially if you um, subtract the time of admin and teaching there's not that much time that actually is left to actual research or mm. what i consider the actual phd work but just having that realization helps me to kind of recalibrate i think mm. um even though it's a bit like painful what, is, what does that do does it make you sort of realize that you have been productive even though you don't feel productive or does it I don't, what does it do to you i think both like it it shows me that there is some progress but also how how much time I don't want to say waste time because some of it is important for example if you meet colleagues and over coffee and we've talked about this before where sometimes you go into the office and you feel like you're not really getting anything done but I do think that in interactions and ex exchanging with people there is some kind of like thought process happening mm. and, and inspiration for whatever you're doing um so it's more about realizing what you actually like there is some progress but also realizing where you could maybe cut some time or invest more time into mm properly managing your time, writing it down, planning it out. <laughs> yeah, maybe that doesn't work for everybody, but for me it does. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think this um, retro uh, perspective um, view is very important because, um, as you said, it's even for me, it is very important to see things um, 
won't worked out very well or if things um, yeah mm. succeeded. So this is very important and also in the part of um, yeah create new ideas and looking in the future and um, to combine future and 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 history or the history the history of making <laughs> plans <laughs> and yeah this is also very important for me to to take my time to reflect and to um yeah mm. think about because I, I think when i first got in the first time i got into this like sort of phase where i was doing i was going to to work uh or going to the office and i was going home and i look back on the day sort of not writing down anything but looking back on the day and usually looking back on the day would mean looking back on the sort of document that I'm, you know, working in and it's like, okay, there are 50 more words in here than it was when I started out. Sometimes it's even less because I do editing work and it just like disappears, you know? And I feel like I've been sitting at work for like eight hours today and this is what I have to show for it. You know, it's so sort of uh, depressing and and draining uh, in a way. So I think that sort of uh, visualizing this for yourself actually could uh, definitely help. But I keep wondering, where does my time go? You know, it's like all these distractions that I get throughout the day being, I don't know, I, I don't know what they are, you know, it, it, maybe I should start writing them down. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I do little increments of like five minutes, just hanging up my washing just mm. to see, maybe that is a bit too accurate, but yeah. it, it works the, in the home office at least. It I mean. does work in the home office. And I think like this hasn't worked for me, but people block like their apps um, or limit the time they spend on apps, right on Instagram. I mean, I just, I do that for a day and then I take out the restrictions again. It doesn't work for me at all. Um, but I think, I guess what what's important about this is that you just kind of do trial and error and see what works for you. And I feel like there's so much self-help on time management out there. So there's a lot of inspiration you could take, but mm. also I think everybody has to kind of find their own way and own rhythm, mm. um, how to do it. And I think what we talked about earlier as well is this idea that if you say yes to things, you, ha you have to learn to say no to things, right? Mm -hmm. Everyone, like, I feel like everyone says that and... Nobody really does it that perfectly, but it's important to say no to things, but it's also important to say yes to things, but being a bit more selective maybe about what you're, what you're saying yes to. Have you guys made any sort of experiences about that sort of being uh, more strategic about what you accept to sort of come into your work life that is not sitting down and writing in an article or writing a chapter of your dissertation? I think in the beginning of the PhD, also with the book chapter that we mentioned, I felt kind of obliged to say yes to everything. I was... I wanted to go to every conference. I mean, it was also in the pandemic, so anything that was online, everything felt very close, so I could just do it. Um, but I was piling up on things that I don't think were... I mean, on the one hand, it's important because you're exploring, but on the other hand, I think it was distracting from what I'm actually doing. But now, I mean, the, I think the second year in the middle of the PhD, you kind of say no to a lot of things because you're concentrating. Right. And then we have talked about this before, right? Like some people at the end of their PhD will be like, I, I wish I had said yes to more things. And my strategy at the moment, and I don't know if that'll be the case forever, is to say yes to things I haven't done before and then kind of check in with myself and see, has that worked for me? Has that not worked? And then be quite rigid in saying no if it actually didn't feel good. Mm. Um, so saying no based on experience instead of sort of, yeah. I mean, I guess that helps to allow yourself not to doubt your decisions as much maybe. Yeah, mm. I think so. 
Sounds like a very good advice. <laughs> so mm. take it with me, take it at home. Yeah, because I think this like saying no to things allows you to focus on your dissertation, but it only allows you to focus on your dissertation. And then we sort of forget that we have this entire other thing called a life after the PhD. What are the things that you maybe wish you would say more yes to or like uh, going in? What are What are your prioritizations? What are you saying no to? What are you saying yes to? In the first year, I tried to, to get everything, to, to be part of everything. And this is also, I uh, don't regret this. Um, but nowadays, I'm more focused in what, yeah, I try to be more selective, as you said. Hmm. What I mean, you also have your job. Yeah, but you also have your job at the, at the, uh, at the uh, museum, right? Yeah. And that's like definitely a, a time drain to, to a certain extent, I would say. But it also helps you to sort of, I don't know, bring something on after your PhD is done, right? Yeah, this is what what you mentioned when you when you say that um, to say yes to things, because this is also, it also takes time from my PhD project. But um, it is also important to have um, different opportunities when after the PhD mm. and um, I have, um, yeah, good opportunities to see history or how to, um, how to educate history in a completely different way than in the classic academical in the, sense. Yeah. In, in the classically mm. um, or in, in academia. Mm. How's that for you, Bauchi? I think um, what's important as well is to see this PhD as like in phases as well, so that what you say no to and yes to is not set in stone, but changes with that period. So I think right now it is important for me to say no to a lot of things to actually concentrate on doing interviews and writing. Mm. Um, and then, of course, that will change going forward. And then I guess it's important also to re recognize this more invisible or hidden labor of actually speaking to people that that's not a waste of time, but that will help you afterwards as well. Mm. Um, but also, um, and I've said this before to you that I've been considering time management more in this idea of energy management. So I say yes right. to things that give me energy um, and no to things that drain energy. Um, and that kind of allows me to say, I don't have time, even though my calendar says mm. there is a free slot. I think that's so good. You said it uh, that, you know, if you expect yourself to be able to work in the same way, in the same sort of productivity, I mean, I'm paraphrasing now, uh, if you're expecting yourself to work the same with the same efficiency all the time, you're going to set yourself up for failure and disappointment. Right. And I think that's so true because like uh, you, 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 you look back and you see like, okay, my average productivity, my average sort of uh, ability to work, it's this much. And then you go into a work day and you do like less and it's so devastating or you do more and you're like, okay, I'm going to adjust my expectations to myself. I can do more. And then you're going to disappoint yourself the day after again or something like that. And that this kind of, uh, changes and that's, it's also like a physiological element to it. Right. Yeah. Um, right. As, as, um, women and people or individuals that, that menstruate, I think it's, that's been really illuminating to me that when you have migraines or cramps, um, you're not going to be, you're not going to be as able to sit there for five hours and read that really, really yeah, theoretical paper. <laughs> exactly. But I think there is sometimes this imagination that menstrual leave isn't, isn't something that you should be taking or that, um, that should be impending, um, on your work. Um, so I think that really helps to see, oh, this week 
I'm just going to dial it down or take a day off. But then next week, I'm going to be super productive. So um, as you said, not having this imagination that every week will be the same mm. um, is quite helpful as well. Yeah, I got to remember that you have a body and mm. there, are <laughs> there are things affecting you, like from within and from also the outside, right? And I uh, I think this this way of thinking that you mentioned about Chi about thinking less about time management and more about energy management is very sort of illuminating because you 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 can't really give yourself more time. There are 24 hours in a day. I mean, you can sleep less, but that kind of also, you know, fucks up the rest of your uh, coming day, for instance. Uh, but you can do something with your energy levels, right? What are some some ways that or some techniques you, you do to um, manage your energy levels to, you know, be be more productive, be a better self, feel better about yourself? Christoph? Yeah, for me personally, it is very important to have a walk, um, to went out, um, just um, have a look at other people walking around mm. um, or yeah. sort of daydreaming, right? Yeah. 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 Just letting your mind wander. Yeah. Yeah. I'm too bad at that because, you know, it's like ugh, this is like so cliche, but it's like it's so easy to fill your time with distractions that you forget to just be a little bit bored sometimes. You know, it's like, okay, I'm uh, biking to work, better listen to a podcast while I'm on my way to work so I don't waste my time just getting somewhere. I should also learn something about news or whatever it is. Or if I'm taking a break, I need to like scroll my phone and look at pictures or something like that. And forgetting this, just walking around, empty out your mind and Try not to think, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think often I I trick myself. And I don't have the time to exercise. I don't have the time to actually cook a meal or sit down and meditate. Um, meditate meditation is a big thing for me. But I think actually investing that time gets you time out afterwards because you're more focused, you're more energized. Um, so sleeping also is super important. I feel like an hour more of sleep actually kind of buys you two hours. Mm. Um <laughs> So the more you sleep, the more time you get. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that's wholesale, but yeah, yeah. yeah. But you, 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 you have a very sort of specific and very popular uh, technique for this sort of uh, to to combat this idea of spending time not doing things uh, equals wasting time, right? Uh, which ties to your, the object that you brought with you today, which is, do you want to tell the the, the audience what a, what you brought with you today? Yes, I have um, a tomato with me. Um, and that uh, is representative of the Pomodoro technique that probably a lot of you know, but it's, um, so this comes from a timer that the guy in the 1980s had, and it was in the form of a shape of a tomato, um, and it was a 25 uh, minute timer. So, um, yeah, so you, you, there's loads of apps out there. So you just sit down for 25 minutes and concentrate, and then you take a break. And I think that takes away this if you look at your calendar or your to-do list and it's this pile of stuff that you have to do but if you just I think everybody can just sit down for 25 minutes and start whatever you're doing but then also stop um, and that has helped me to just get going yeah for me I think the stopping is an important part because I've been using the Pomodoro technique a little bit I'm not very good at doing it sort of all the time but what was a big change for me is that you know 25 minutes of work that's fine but like allowing yourself to do this like structured five minute break where you're just like okay you're actually you force yourself to take a break it's not like oh I, I i have so much work to do i'm gonna skip the break the break is a part of it right sort of forces you to think that way yeah hmm. and i think it's very important to just stand up and do something else in those five minutes hmm. 
yeah, we are all human beings, so we need <laughs> to, to sleep, to eat. And sometimes in academia, it's, uh, um, yeah, we, we, we tend to forget <laughs> yeah. these very important things. That <laughs> I think it also ties back to the discussion we had about like distractions, right? So distractions being seen as things that take away your time. Uh, like take like you're in your office, someone knocks on the door. Hey, do you want to grab a coffee? Sorry, I don't have time because I'm super busy. I have a lot of work. But maybe if you think about it in the terms of energy management instead, you say, you know what? Actually, having a cup of coffee, not only the cup of coffee, but the social interaction will give me the energy I need to sort of boost through this and get the creativity that I that I need to mm. to properly work mm. and yeah, and get something out of it, right? Yeah. yeah, or the possibility that this five minutes, um, this five minute chat with my colleague, um, is is is, uh, um, yeah, my mind is is relaxed after this um, chat. So because we're talking about completely different issues. Yeah, when you put it that way, I mean that's kind of the beauty of the PhD that you have so much flexibility. Um, I mean it comes with the downside that we have yeah. to manage the time ourselves. But on the flip side, it's also, I don't know if I'll ever have a time in my life that'll be that flexible and kind of adjustable to the to the things that I need. So I think it's also a way for me to figure out what what my strengths and, and, and kind of or downfalls are. Yeah, I think using the PhD is a very rare opportunity to do something that you're not able to do outside in like other other settings uh, is something that we maybe don't appreciate as much. I I think I tend to focus too much on the negative aspects of it. It's like, oh, I have to manage my own time. But on the flip side, yeah, I get to manage my own time. I get to learn how to manage my own time, which is probably going to be helpful uh, in, in other settings as well. So, but before, before we, f we finish off, I, I want to talk about sort of what is the future outlook for you? Because you're both sort of halfway, you're both two years into the PhD or on your second year of the PhD. You're supposed to be finished in approximately four years. Who knows if that's going to happen? Um, but you have half half of it behind you and then you have approximately half of it in front of you. Um, what are some of the things that you're going to work on and think about with time management uh, in the next upcoming years of doing your PhD? Christoph, I know you, you brought with you a, a quote that sort of works with the, the way of thinking about time management in your PhD. It's a quote from Thomas Edison. I have not failed. I've just found 10,000 ways that won't work. <laughs> and I choose this because it's on my desk. <laughs> um, yeah, and it reminds me that um, doing science, being in academia is also um, to, to learn that you are allowed to fail and that things don't succeed. Yeah, this topic um, about about that we we are allowed to fail. Mm. Um, this is sometimes what I'm missing in academia. So. Yeah, yeah, I feel like definitely like the past two years of my PhD has, uh, if not been failing, it's been figuring out uh, maybe not ten thousand things that don't work, but a lot of things that that don't work, and I try to sort of uh, <laughs> work on figuring out what actually does work. What do you have to say about Chi as a finishing thought? I just need to add on to that. I fully agree with both of you. Mm. Um, I do think time management is this fluid work in progress thing that just constantly changes with the requirements of your life, your job, academia. And I I at least think it's really important to constantly check in with yourself, whether that is together with the supervisor or a, your family member or just a good friend, but kind of, yeah, checking in and seeing if it works for you and readjusting and recalibrating. Mm. Yeah, I think... Uh 
that's something that definitely I could be be better at doing. And I think it ties together with what we talked about earlier about this feeling of, you know, you're sitting there and you haven't done anything. But when you look at it and you really assess yourself and your time, you see what you uh, have accomplished. Maybe it's not what you wanted to accomplish, but you've done something. And when you look at yourself and you see, look at your time at your calendar and you see only like the hours and the minutes and the the seconds, it's it's hard to feel accomplished sometimes. But if you look at your energy instead and you assess yourself in other terms, um, you learn to appreciate the way that you work and the way that you, or your, your capabilities, right? Um, thank you so much for, for being here today, taking the time. Ha ha. Uh, it was really lovely having you both here. I wish you, uh, the best of luck, uh, trying to manage your time in the future and finishing your PhDs. Um, and, uh, yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. This was episode nine of Doctorate about time management. And I want to thank again our guests, Bao Chi and Christoph, and our Marvels production team with Maximilian Brockhaus, Angelina Ellis, Georgia Sogu, Nadine Riegler, and Ninja Buman. Editing and technical work by Nadine Riegler, and I am your host, Rasmus Waldman. We'll see you again in the next episode of Doctorate. Doctorate is brought to you by the Doctoral School of Historical and Cultural Studies and the Vienna Doctoral School of Social Sciences. It is created and produced by the School Fellows.